Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Hey everybody, this is Todd McFarlane, creator of Spawn, co-creator of Venom, and you're listening to The Marvelous, best place to be, and you're listening to Peter and Eddie. <laughs> Peter and Eddie, great host, Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome everyone to The Marvelous, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's show and introducing our very special guest, we want to tell you all at home how you can get a hold of us on them, our social media. Super special, in fact, but go ahead. First off, go on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Go on Twitter and Instagram at The Marvelists. And individually, myself on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Peter Melnick Podcaster on Twitter and Instagram, at Peter Melnick. And much like Reckless Eric with the song Whole Wide World, there's only one place in the whole wide world even, there we go, Who? that you can find Eddie Wilson on social media. And that is on Instagram, at Eddie9193. You can also find this show on a wide variety of streaming platforms, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Spotify, whatever it is, you name it, got an RSS feed, we're there. And also, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share, but not Sunny. <laughs> oh. Also, on iTunes, like I said, keep it five stars. But, Eddie, Go on ahead. the other end of the tin can and string, we are joined with a very special guest. He's returning to the show for his second time, and we are glad to have him. We are joined with the man responsible for Spawn. He is responsible as the co-creator of Venom. Ladies and gentlemen, Todd McFarlane. Hey, gentlemen, how are you doing today out there? Day by day. It's trying to be safe, you know? Aren't we all? Eight billion of us. We're all in the same bucket. It's not even going to be a unique story when we go to tell it 20 years from now. Hey, I remember I had to do this thing, and they'll go, yeah, me too. I'm like, oh, darn it. So we're all going to have the same story to tell. And before we get into everything, first off, we want to say congratulations on the success on the Kickstarter for the Spawn Remaster Action Figure. That's it got funded fully within 12 minutes, and it's still going on. It's going to be ending, I believe, on May 7th. And yeah, congratulations! Yeah, it was our first. It was our first try at it. Uh, I'd been talking about it off and on for a couple of years. Um, as you guys know, you know, I got a couple companies. Uh, one of them's a toy company, and you know, we've sold stuff through the big box stores. Uh, obviously, we've sold stuff through, you know, specialty stores, whether they're, you know, the ones that are in the malls and or, you know, comic shops, uh, and then even through our own dot-coms and, and smaller ones. But one of the things we'd never done was uh, a crowdfunding. And so, you know, again, it's not that I thought it was any better or worse. I just that I didn't have any data from a business point of view, whether it's a uh, uh, a viable route to go that makes any sense for the models that we have. So at some point I just said, hey, we're never going to know until we collect data. So it's time. It's time for us to go out there. And then when the uh, virus came along, 
and sort of put everybody on their back heels and start, started to shut her doors, especially in the comic book community. Mm. Oh, yeah. Then it even made more sense to say, hey, I think you know we got to continue to deliver stuff to fandom uh, and, and, and keep our fans engaged. So this is just something that I put out there and just said, hey, here's a couple things. And, yeah, to your point, yeah, 12 minutes. I, like I said, I've never done one. And 12 minutes was like, we're funded. Okay. That was, I literally went downstairs. My wife had called me. And by the time I came back upstairs, it was, we, were, we, were ready, we were ready gold at that point. So anything past that, we were, we were doing good. And I think we hit a million in 32 hours or something. Well, here's and a data. Funny. I was going to say, well, here's a data question off the bat, Todd. Do you, do you know over over the time that the Spawn figure has come out and its different uh, incarnations, how many manufactured Spawn versions are out there for the for the Spawnaholics who probably some of course I would think have every single version? Any any rough idea? You know, it, it, it's interesting. When we started, I think we did at the beginning we did 34 different series, 34 or 35, right? And normally. Most of the series uh, had uh, five or six figures uh, attached to each one of them. Um, so, and I remember, you know, a lot of people in the industry, you know, toy industry saying, what, like, why does this keep selling? There's no movie. There's no TV show. There's no, you know, uh, somebody singing a record album or something. There's no video games. There's not like, what, why, why does this keep going? Because at that point, I think other than... Transformers, I think it was like the second longest running toy, you know, even at that point, Star Wars and Batman toys had taken a bit of a break on the shelf, so it was this sort of long-running thing, and there was a bit of a head-scratcher, because I understood Star Wars, uh, and, and again, I'm not saying that Spawn is anywhere close to Star Wars, and it, but it was on the shelf for years and years and years, so that means if you just do easy math, you know, 35 times 6, that's well over 200 different figures and different incarnations of the character, uh, different looks of him. And in regards to, you know, the Kickstarter itself, when, you know, I, I ended up uh, funding in it as well. You know, I ordered the uh, classic oh, thank design. Because it's just like a, it's a gorgeous looking figure, especially when you see it in person, too. And at Toy Fair, it was just amazing to see. And, you know, like I said, when I funded it, you were already three times the uh, goal, so I'm like, oh, wow. Well, I think this is going to happen. Well, well, one of the things that that I also wanted to do, and, and you see some of it in the initial video that we put on the Kickstarter page, um, was I wanted the experience of this to, to begin, you know, once literally once the the delivery person rings your doorbell and says, hey, you got a package. Um, and, and not just with the figure itself, although that's really the reason why people are buying it, but from the moment you start cracking it open, that you have to then peel it out, and then you've got the big box, and the box got a slip cover, and then you have to open up the slip cover, and then get the bigger box, and then open that up, and then take out some of the smaller pieces that'll be inset into the foam, and then take out the foam, and then finally you'll get to it. That there will be this sort of anticipation to get to what it is that most people usually just get when they go to the store and just pick it up off the hook, right? Uh, so, you know, I mean, a, a little bit of, like, when you go and buy a cell phone, you know? I mean, it's, you're buying it for the cell phone, but you get home and you have to unwrap it and slide out the phone, and it's, like, kind of cool, and then you have to get the, the earbuds underneath it and the battery or the instruction book or whatever it is that it comes with. Uh, 
and until so you're taking it apart before you actually sort of turn it on and charge it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there should be a little bit of that, that uh, that's involved here. So it's not just, hey, I'm going to take the toy in a blister shell and just put it in a box with, you know, foam or, or peanuts and, you know, uh, styrofoam peanuts and send it to you. We're going we're gonna to make it so that when you're done with it, you can put it back into the into the uh, uh, clamshell. We're making a clamshell that basically will open and close, and you can reseal it. Uh, sort of like, I mean, bad bad choice of word, like Tupperware or something like that. You know, you can open it, put it back in, close it. If you're going to spend that kind of money, and I'm going to build that kind of a box, it'd be a shame to say, hey, you open it all up, you cut open your package, and then you've got an empty box. So we're going to make it so that you can put it all back together, either in the clamshell or put it completely back together in the big box in the sleeve, and then you can put it back up on your shelf and pull it out whenever you want. It, it just reminds me, Todd, because we make a lot of music references here, and one that came to mind when you're describing The Anticipation, which is the title of a Carly Simon 1970s yep. song. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And they, they used it for ketchup commercial. Yeah. Thank Rich Heinz ketchup. I did yeah. not expect so, a Carly Simon reference on this episode today. Like, I really did not. Ta-da! <laughs> That's it. No, no, no. Again, but. look at the goal for anybody when you're out there trying to get people to give you, you know, their hard-earned money um, that, you know, we're always grateful for is to give them as much value as possible, right? I would argue that it was the, you know, the biggest reason why my toy company McFarland Toys was able to survive through all these years um, because it was, you know, the early stated goal was, hey, we don't we don't have Superman and, and Batman and Spider-Man, you know, the big brands. We don't have Transformers and all the stuff that was selling G.I. Joe. Um, so we're just going to have to give them a better-looking product, uh, maybe even a bigger product, which is basically more plastic, uh, and, and that equals a value. And so can we give them you know, uh, they're selling their toys for $6. Can we give them a $7 toy that looks like it should be a $12 toy? Uh, and, and, the, and if you can do that, then the answer is, you you know, most people will respond to it whether you have a big brand or not. If you have a big brand and you do all those above things, then you're going to have, then, then you're going to have, you know, a home run on your hands. And in regards to, like, the world of action figure collecting and whatnot, I'm, you know, slowly getting back in because, like, every once in a while I'll see something I like. And, you know, with the comic book-related action figures myself, I like the Marvel Legends. But after Toy Fair this year and visiting the McFarland Toys booth, I'm looking around and I just keep glancing over to the DC Multiverse thing. And let's just say as I was leaving New York City that day, I might have made a pit stop at Midtown Comics and left with a Batman animated and Superman animated figure. And like I said, I like Marvel Legends, but damn, do I love the DC multiverse because. Well, one of the things I was saying to people at the toy fair, and I appreciate the kind words was, you know, we, you know, we were, we came out with our first wave of toys and we got a nice reaction to it and whatever, but we're just getting warmed up. That was our first, that was our first wave of trying to get comfortable with you know, uh, you know, obviously Warner Brothers, uh, DC Comic Books, we never dealt with. They never dealt with us. So everybody was sort of having you know uh, a bit of a learning curve with what everybody was capable of doing and what everybody wanted. Um, 
what I was telling people what, that I can say with a complete straight face is that we that that we're, we're just literally we're just starting, right? I've always told my sculptors and artists and everything else that if you have do any line of anything for you know more than two years, a year, two years, you should look back at your very first offering and it could be your worst by far, right? Uh, yeah. And, in terms of because you know you, that's your start, and then you learn, and you say, ah, keep doing you know those five things, but you know maybe we can improve on those other six things that didn't work quite as well, and you're just completely tinkering and getting better and better and better. So now we've got our second wave that'll be coming out soon here, uh, which I think is a step up, and then and then for sure, what's coming out at Christmas time, you know I've I've seen it you know literally months in advance, uh, and it's it's by far the best stuff that we've done, both visually and and the way that it works and the aesthetics and sort of the thematics of all of it. So, um, I, it, so that's why when people were like yourself saying, you know, kind words about that first wave, you know, I was looking at my people going, wow, if they like this, and we know what's coming down the pipeline, well, you know, they're gonna they're they're they're, they're gonna get really excited because we got some we got some really cool stuff coming. And, you know, you mentioned about the whole visual aspect of the figures and how great they look. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the guy's name. But, you know, I'm looking through the McFarland Toys social media and I'm seeing, you know, photographs of the action figures. And, you know, you guys have a guy by the name of Ty who just, like, puts out amazing-looking, visually-pleasing photos of these figures. Producers know you can find Ty at TyButler underscore photography on Instagram, TyButler underscore photography Phenomenal yeah ty's stuff. a young kid you know young 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 geek like all like we all used to be right so he's he just uh, us when we were all younger um and you know one of the conversations that i had with him was that years and years ago when we first started the company we used to do all these cool sort of stylized photos matter of fact a lot of them if you remember some of the old toys we used to do we used to have the luxury of making a little bit bigger packaging so we used to have the side panels that used to have the big piece of art on it, right? And I, and I always thought those were pretty visually striking packages that we did. Uh, you know, now the retailers want stuff that's a little bit smaller so they can put more product on the shelf and not, not basically, you know, leave it to packaging but actually have it to be product. Uh, so he, he was looking at some of those old-school photos that we did and just said, yeah, cool, let's go, let's go and do it. I mean, if you, if you look at that initial image, if you go to, like, the Kickstarter, just that one shot of him uh, just standing there, you, you, that one image itself, and he, he took dozens of them, you know, are very evocative to show you how cool any of these toys can be, whether they're from my company or competitors, you know, in the right, in the right lighting, in the right backdrop and whatever else. You can you can you can do photos that are works of art. And again, you know, we're going to end up uh, including uh, we're going to have uh, our editors sneak it in, but I'm going to include Ty's uh, social media on Instagram, so you know our listeners can check out his stuff. But just alone, even on the McFarland Toys page, it's incredible. And like I said, it helps with the overall presentation on wanting to sell you know to sell these figures for the you know consumer. And like like I said myself. When I was seeing them, the way they were posed in person and the photographs I saw on Instagram, I was just like, oh, my God, I actually have to really get in on this because... Yeah, the thing that's interesting uh, is that 
the prototype that we did that uh, you know was up on the Kickstarter doesn't isn't isn't cut with all their articulation, right? There's another video a little bit lower down that actually shows you what the expanded version of the figure, if you took them apart, what it would look like. Um, so there was a there was a bit of consternation that as pretty as the picture was, we're going, there's no articulation, it's not going to move, and it's like, no, I, I, we haven't cut it yet, right? This is just I'm just showing you what it's going to look like, and we'll cut it up uh, a little bit later. So, so it's it's interesting that that you react to the pretty visual of it, where others were going, I can't see any articulation; it's just a statue, right? Um, but I I just actually found out like an hour ago that the first working prototype of it from the factory came in today. So, literally, as soon as I get off this call, I, I'm heading I'm heading to pick it up so that That's I can make a video. Uh, for the Kickstarter to actually show people, here it is, here's the moving parts, I'm going to move it for you, right? And I'm going to show you how much this guy moves around. Uh, and then and then they'll go, oh my gosh, look at how articulated it is. Even though there is a video that shows all the parts, sometimes people, I mean, we all, we all sort of react to things differently. And most of us, I think, are visual learners anyways. Uh, so, you know, once I show them how much the arms can move and the legs can move and whatever else, and they'll go, oh, my gosh, it does have a lot of articulation, even though I've been saying that it does, and we've been showing sort of still samples until you actually sort of see it in a video moving. Sometimes people, you know, are a little bit hesitant to sort of believe the, what you've typed with your fingers. They just want to see the evidence. So today I'll, I'll show them the, the evidence. Seeing is believing, absolutely. Yeah, that's it. There's a piece, Todd, I hope I can describe it somewhat well enough for you to tell me when it was out because I think I got it. I remember for some reason thirty dollars. It was sizable. It was in a a big bo- cube type box. It's a Spider Man figure crouched, perched, if you will. Um, that I think it even had on the packaging that first issue of Spider well, surrounded by all the webbing and so on. And it's it is a sizable. I can't even tell you how what what size it is in terms of inches. A, a figure not not moving again, but it was maybe earlier in the. In the production they of did. these, the, the Marvel. Now again, a lot of that came out after I had left the company, right? We'd, mm. we'd gone and started Image, and, and I dove into this character called Spawn. So you know, and I sort of left Spider-Man, you know, sort of at a high point. Uh, so a lot of the follow-up stuff that they did with posters and trade paperbacks and T-shirts and uh, toys and statues and stuff, all that came. Sort of after I walked out the door, so, um, so and I've seen some of it. Some of it's super cool, right? Uh, and and so it's like, yeah, cool, you know. I remember I came across the, the stuff that's that's out there. Uh, and then there's other times where I've I've seen stuff that they sort of say they're trying to use my stuff as inspiration. And you know, again, we all sort of have our egos. I, I you know, my brain saying, hey. I would have done a little bit different here and a little bit different here because you know I'm 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 sort of drawing and sculpting it in my head at the same time. But uh, anyways, I only bring that up really though because that's probably the biggest figure statue that I possess. Otherwise, it's small. It's I, I really didn't get into this that aspect of the collecting as it is. I've got so many thousands upon thousands of comic books to deal with, in a good way. But it, again, it came up in that, and I said, "Oh, that's right. I should have looked at it before today." But here we are. And you I know, think done, I think, like I said, I think they've done a, de- a decent amount of sort of McFarlane-inspired Spider-Mans and some Venom stuff. 
you know, over the years. But like I said, a lot of that came after I left, so I, I was unaware of it till after it came to the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And going back over to Spawn with everything going on with it, one of the things that just recently happened was Spawn ended up making his return to video games in Mortal Kombat 11, and right. they ended up, you guys ended up releasing a Spawn action figure, which I got to hold at Toy Fair before it came out, and Again, this is the thing I enjoy about the McFarlane toys. Is it had a lot of weight to it. It had a lot of points of articulation. It looked gorgeous. And one of the things about that that I really like, again, the $20 price point, $20 to $30 price point. And I'm holding, I'm like, this is something that should be, you know, more, but it's affordable and it's great for that. And again, you know, it's one of those things. I think in a lot of ways, like, people underestimate the character of Spawn because I can't find that figure anywhere now. And, you know, well, well, let's, well, let's, let's just go back to, you made two points there. Let's go back to your first point. Um, when I started my businesses, the one thing that drives almost 90% of my decisions is that I, I try to channel the 16, 17-year-old Todd. And, and here's what I know about the young Todd McFarland. He didn't have a lot of money in his pocket, right? So his cool something was at $80 when I was a kid. I couldn't afford it, right? Even 60 50 I couldn't do it. So so to me, it all, it all mattered, right? So, I mean, when we first got into the business, we were selling $6 toys. And I remember it took a long time before, you know, anybody in the industry, especially at retail, you know, the big retail, cracked the $10 mark. And then it seemed like it very quickly zoomed from 10 to 20, which was weird because it took forever to get to 10, and then it went to 20 real quick. Um, but I see a lot of, I, you know, and, and sometimes I even get people comment on social media or, or, you know, on my emails or something, and they, they say, why don't you do this and why can't you do this with your figures? And they're comparing me to $90 toys, right? It's like, shoot, this is easy. You want me to charge you ninety bucks? Not only will I do what they're doing, I'll do it three times more, right? Uh, so, so to me, I think it's still important to deliver, like to your point, you know, the twenty dollar toy, and have hopefully a, a, a portion of people who are aware of what's out there say, "Oh my gosh, some of the other companies are doing something like that." And they're charging forty bucks for it or sixty bucks for it, right? I, so, so I'm always trying to figure out how can I give the most for the least. Why? Because I think if you do that, then you will have people come and support you, and they will continue to support you because they see that you're not trying to just basically gouge them on money. You're trying to give them value in return for what it is that they're paying for. And then, and and if you don't, you know, which is why I never went public as a company because you have to maximize profits. I don't do that. I, 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 I just I assume that if you treat the customer right and you give them a, a fair price and you give them a, a quality product, they will keep coming back. And over time, you will make your money. You don't have to make it in the, every 90 days, you know, where big companies do because they have quarterly earnings. Um, that I'm, I'm not driven by that. I, I, I can do stuff where I go, let's just treat the consumer fairly and hope that two years from now, three years from now, they'll continue to support us. So now, you know, we're almost 30 years into it, both on the comic book and or the toy side, and we still have a pretty 
loyal group of followers and continue to add new people coming and going all the time. So I I I think that part of it is just is just given that quality at a fair price because we could we I mean we could we, and and the thing is even if even if you have eighty bucks. You you have to make a choice, right? You go, God, do I want one eighty dollar toy? Do I want two forties, or do I want four twenties, right? We and again, it's it's up to it's up to everybody to make the choice that basically suits them best. But you know, I know when I was a kid, I would have I would have said, shoot, I'll I'll take four, right? I was I was always wanting the most for my my most bang for my buck at all times. So uh, and when people say, yeah, I mean, when you look at what we did with like the Superman in armor. Right, and the Batman in armor that, that came out in that first wave of the DC multiverse, right? And and those look those look like there's a lot of value just in the package, right? I don't even have room to put the giant wings on those guys. Once you get them out of the package, you put the giant wings. To me, they even expand even more. But even if you like you were saying, you just take it off the hook, you it feels hefty, right? It feels like man. I'm going to spend 20 bucks, like, man, that's a lot of plastic, right? I've always told people, never underestimate plastic. I've never made a single huge, big, bulky toy that didn't sell because people will accept the fact that for the same price as a normal uh, human being and for sure a lot more than the females who are a little bit skinnier, uh, you can get the big monster, the big blocky, hulky kind of character, and it's the same price. You're getting three times as much plastic for the same price. People people respond to that fairly quickly, and so I try to do that as much as possible. As to why Spawn has been going for so long, part of it is because I, you know, I, the comic book has been going nonstop. I didn't start and stop it and expect people to remember it. I just I've been thumping the brand name nonstop since 1992 when I started it. So there's there's something to be said about attrition. You just you keep you keep putting the words out there, and you never expect over the decades. You have your high points and you have your low points. You never you never expect that you're always going to be at the top. Uh, but you know anybody that's been around in any industry for 20, 30, 40 years, I don't care what industry it is, I always tip my hat to them because they they they've survived for decades, right? There's there's something to be said for that. I I know how hard that is now that I've done it. Uh, so anybody that even makes the attempt to do it. I'm I'm always sort of, you know, a cheerleader for their efforts just as much as anybody else's that I know. Well, I think Todd, part of that has got to be uh, adapting to this changing situations. And I was thinking earlier before that came up, have you at different points in your life looked back to reflect or reminisce and and you thought, hey, I didn't think I'd ever go this direction. I mean, I think if I read right, you wanted to <laughs> really like be a ball player first. But then, yeah. you know, to do to go from comics to the other branches of the comic industry, yeah. um, you know, would you have? Yeah, not, I think. Look s- at it. My wife teaches. Uh, she's a professor. She teaches uh, classes on how to prepare yourself for a job uh, at the university. And sometimes I come in there and I talk. I give a couple talks. One is sort of Todd the artist talk, and then I come in a little bit later and I talk about Todd the CEO. So I sort of give. You know, the first one is here's how you get in, and the second one is like now that you're in, here's how you stay. Um, I think most, if, you, we, if we ask almost most of our parents, you know, most of them are probably in situations and jobs that they probably didn't know either coming out of school uh, where they were going to be. I mean, there's, there's some jobs that are, that are what I would call a straight-line job, 
right? Doctors and nurses and teachers and firefighters and policemen. I mean, you know, you go, you train for it, you do the test, and if you pass, you go, and you go straight into it. Most, almost everything else, uh, you know, has this sort of serendipitous way of getting you there. So, and it just becomes opportunity, and then whether you're, you're skilled enough or lucky enough to be able to be given uh, that that chance at it. So, if you're if, if somebody obviously had come up to me when I broke into comic books, uh, you know, with Marvel way back in like 1984, 85, uh, and said, "Hey, Todd, you know what? Someday you're going to be running a toy company, and you're going to be, you know, doing stuff in Hollywood. You're going to have a Grammy. I don't even I can't even read music. Uh, and, you know, you're going to have." And I'm like. You talking about? I just want to do comic books, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it was it was starting the comic book, which was you know quote unquote art, that then led to all the other ones, right? So again, let's go real quickly to how does a guy who doesn't play any music instruments uh, can't read music? How does he have a Grammy? How does how does that how does that weird bizarre path work? Well, I mean, you, I can track it, right? You, I, I'm I'm a college. I get a degree. Uh, before I get my degree, I, I start working for Marvel. Marvel then basically lets me go. I go over to DC. I show that I can do monthly comic book. I go back to Marvel. I, I do some monthly comic book. Eventually, they give me Hulk. Eventually, they give me Spider-Man. I do some tricks artistically on Spider-Man. People like it. Oh, my gosh. All of a sudden, my career goes. Eventually, I get a little frustrated with the corporation. We go start another company. Uh, image comic books. I created another character called Spawn that I had since I was in high school. He ends up doing good. Spawn goes to the top of the charts. People come up to me and say, hey, I was just looking at the charts. You got the best-selling thing in comic books. Must be more popular than Spider-Man and Batman and Superman. It wasn't, but it, but they were making those leaps in logic. Do you want to do uh, a, a movie and or animation? It's like, yeah, cool. So I do animation with HBO there's the spawn animation and somebody then uh is trying to watch uh, uh the spawn animation uh and is a musician this happened to be Eddie Vedder of uh Pearl Jam their record album label says we want you to do a video he doesn't want to star in it neither does a band member so they go let's do an animated one we do it gets nominated for a grammy doesn't win but then somebody else sees that one we did for Pearl Jam it says, "Hey, you want to do another music video?" We do it, and on the one we did with the uh, Corn Freak on the Leash, that one ends up getting nominated and does win the Grammy. Boom! Right, and all of a sudden it was just, but it just started from that first job at Marvel, and it just sort of went, and then all these sort of paths sort of took off. Right, so. Eddie Vedder happened to be watching Spawn. If he was watching another show, he might have found somebody else to go and ask. And then I'm never doing my first music video, let alone the second one that ends up winning the the Grammy. Grammy. So these are just these moments of dumb luck that come because of the hard work you put in prior to that. So uh, you you just sort of, opportunity comes, and sometimes you get to open the door and it works out. And, you know, you you wear all these different hats. You know, Todd, the CEO, Todd, the comic artist. Honestly, Todd, the motivational speaker, should be one of them because I was listening to your interview the other day with cartoonist Kayfabe, and, you know, I'm going for my jog, and I'm a little bit, you know, apprehensive. I'm like, eh, I don't know if I can make it for this run. 
but I'm hearing you talk about, you know, the breaking into comics and do this, do this, the whole Todd the dad and Todd the CEO, the difference between the two. And I'm just like, I can do this. And I did it, and it felt great. And just the whole aspect of take chances, you know? And that's what I, you know, enjoy hearing from people like yourself. Yeah, I, I mean, at some point, look, if, if you were to ask me, it, 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 like, I would love to dedicate, a, you know, a big portion of my life as I get older to just doing that. Just not, again, not, I don't want to be a motivational speaker in the church. I just want to tell people that, like, you're better than you think you are, right? Like, because I knew this kid named Todd. I lived with him every day. He was a schmuck. The dude was a schmuck. He was dumb at school. He was lazy at his homework assignments. He was a mediocre artist at when he began, and and he you know all he wanted to do was play baseball and play sports and whatever else you know. So how did that dude get to where he got to? How how is the Todd you're talking to today same dumbass that was fifteen, sixteen, twenty, twenty one? And the answer was that there was a, there was a piece. That it, that that it, you can't really replicate a lot, unfortunately. Which is just, I was just tenacious. I was a hustler, right? I always, my self confidence was always way, way higher than the actual skill sets that I ever had, right? And and I run into a lot of people that are actually the opposite, right? They have way more skills than I ever had, and they but they they lack the confidence, they lack the hustle, and I'm like, wow. Man, if I had your skill and my hustle, woo, that's that's a superstar. That combo is a superstar, right? But God bless is a part of me. Like God bless, you don't have the confidence because I don't have to compete against you because you're better than me. So you know, there's as part of that conversation, I I I used to try to motivate people. Then, but like I said, now I break it into two. You know, here's the dad one. Here, let me motivate you for half of it, and then the other half is. As a CEO, I hope you don't do any of it. I hope you don't do any of it so that I never have to compete against you because you're actually better. I know with my eye, you're better than I was at your age, and I, I don't want to compete with you because you've got nothing but energy and enthusiasm on your side. I can't say that I've got all that. Uh, I used to, but I'm getting older. And so God bless you guys not creating competition, right? So it's always easier, you know, to – to win a race when there's fewer people uh, that are running it. Uh, so, so at some point, I, if I can't get you motivated, then maybe I can embarrass you by saying you're letting an old man pass you by. Shame on you. Shame on you, young folks. Right? I wouldn't do it. Shit. Twenty twenty-four year old Todd was way too competitive. Right? I mean, it was on a baseball scholarship, so I was way too competitive to let an old man show me up. Right? I would have died before I let an old an old person like get the better of me. So that's it. I don't understand. I keep saying to people, I don't understand why I'm 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 relevant after all these years. I don't get it. Well, so, speaking of the old man component, Todd, were there or are there any um, guys, mostly pretty much male dominated in the in the comic field that you were enamored of and really looked up to, so to speak, or took a cue from? Let's say. Uh, if you, yeah, if a simple question. You, you know, who who were, who who were my fan favorites? Like when I was when I was a kid. Uh, at, at the very beginning, it was uh, John Byrne and George Perez. I, I mean, they were sort of the hot guys when I started collecting in the mid '70s, and, and to me, I thought they were both phenomenal. Uh, John Byrne for his storytelling and, and his his energy and power, right? I mean, when he had stuff explode, and he 
and he punched stuff. I mean, it was big and massive. George Perez was staggering for me to look at just in terms of, like, his amount of detail he did, especially in his machinery and stuff. It was just, it just blew my mind. Um, and then, and then you know, it started to expand. That You know, I started looking at different people for different reasons, you know, for storytelling. John Buscema, who was doing a lot of Conan the Barbarian, he was doing good. Then a little bit later, a guy named Marshall Rogers, who was basically probably my biggest influence on capes, right? He was like, I can just sort of pick and choose and say, there's my cape guy, there's my, you know, machine gun guy, there's my... So uh, Marshall Rogers there, and then a, a guy named Gil Kane. Gil Kane had, like, when he... When somebody slugged somebody, it was like you shot him out of a cannon. Right? <laughs> and it was, like, melodramatic. And, and, and then... And then a little bit later on, then I discovered who, at the beginning, I, I used to sort of scoff at, which was Jack Kirby. And then, I, and then Jack Kirby sort of opened up my eyes because it, it, like, it wasn't about his drawing. It was about his energy and his melodrama of his comic books. And then, you know, I had the good fortune to get a couple of you know, personal sort of 20-minute lessons from John Romita Sr., who was the art director at Marvel when I was up there. And even though I'd been working at Marvel for years, uh, and I thought, I thought I knew what I was doing. In his 15, 20 minutes, he taught like five or six new things. I went, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, how could, how could I have been so blind? So um, I've always sort of said that, you know, drawing is, is just learning a visual language, and it's not any more different than learning another language. And the more you... The more you practice any language, the more fluent you're going to get into. You know, you're going to get at it. So I'm not, I'm not better. You, 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 Skill-wise, I'm not better than than. I could probably make a list of probably 400 people in the industry that I think are better than me. Uh, and and for a young 22-year-old trying to break in, uh, you actually may have more skill in the long run than I'll ever, ever I'll ever have. What 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 I have as a 50-year-old man is that I've been doing it for 30 years. I'm just fluent in it. But you, at 20 years, if you keep practicing this, you might be surprised at how good you are, right? You might you might learn five languages. You you're, you might be that good, um, but you're never you're never going to know unless unless you do it, right? So um, you know, I think Nike Nike sort of summed up life fairly succinctly with their one slogan: "Just do it." Because if you don't it will never happen. That one I promise. That one, that's the piece that I don't understand about people because I'm so competitive. I'm so, you know, I'll be the first guy to raise my hand and say I'll do anything. That people talk themselves out of doing stuff. Well, you know, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know. And I don't know. And I don't know. And, and but, but here's a fact of life. Here's a fact of life. No one will give a shit about you more than you. So let me just tell you, if you give a shit about you, why should anybody else? Why should anybody else? Right? It all comes from you. So if you've got the confidence and you want to do it, people who care for you will support you and will help you and will nurture you and will mentor you. But if you just go, no, I don't want to do it, who else's job is it for then for somebody to say, hey, I know you personally don't want to do it, but I'm going to make it my life's mission for you to do better. I'm busy with my life, and so is everybody else busy with their own life, right? If you don't want to fight for your own life, shoot, going to make my job easy because I'm never going to have to compete with you, so keep it up. 
so it's a weird thing, you know. So that's the natural part that you can't teach, right? You can't teach confidence. Either you're just a warrior at heart and you're willing to basically take no and, and have people say critical things about you, or you're not. You don't, you're not built for that personality, right? It's okay. And I'm not, I, as, as I got older, I, I understood that I was dealing with personalities now, and it was, it was more about personalities than it was about skill, because some people who are way more skilled than me are going to have a fraction of the career I have, which is disappointing to me. Um, but, uh, but a guy like me who has way less talent is going to succeed more because I just I got way too much confidence and I'm willing to hustle for my life. So, cool, right? And then every now and then, you get, like I said, you get the superstar comes along that actually has the skill and the hustle. So there's a few and far between. And, you know, on the aspect of just doing it, just, you know, taking a chance and doing something, one of the things that, you know, you've talked in, you know, over the past couple of years about doing is in regards to the Spawn movie. And yep. you want to direct the movie. And yep. No, I will direct the movie or I'll die. And that, the thing about that that's so great is, again, you're taking a chance. You're going to do it. It's so, you, you know you know what I mean? It's, it, it's hard to describe, but it's like, Right, but but so let's so, so let's talk about that. So you can go, oh my God, look at you, Tom. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna try and do something, and look at you. You're being aggressive. But you know, it's all I'm, I'm trying to do within the sense of reality, right? So how what's what's the reality? The reality is, it took me 30 years to get to the point where I could say with a straight face, "You're not getting spawned unless I direct it." Right? It took me 30 years to be able to get that negotiation. 20 years ago, I couldn't have done that. So I had to basically put in my time, which was decades of time and effort and work. Then when I get to that point and I say, hey, I'm not going to sit there and say, hey, I want to direct a movie and it needs to have a $100 million budget. I wouldn't even let me do that. So I had to come up with something that was going to be a little bit more tame, a little bit more you know, reasonable, so that if people were saying, hey, we're going to invest in a first-time director, then it's not like we're going to break the bank on the kid, right? So you have to put everything within some reality check. Even if you do have a lot of confidence and you do have a lot of tenacity, you still have to back it up. But there's other people, especially when they're putting in their money, right? If it's your own money, then do whatever you want. Act as crazy as you want, which is what I've done with my comic books and my toy company. But if you're going to go to outside people and ask for $20 million plus million to make a movie, then they're going to have a say and what you can and can't do, and so, okay, so, but they're, they're, if, if I said, hey, here's my $80 million budget movie, they're, they're not going to say I'm going to let a first-time director spend my $80 million. They might at 20. They might at 20. So that's it. So, so I've learned now to just pick my fights on where it is that I want to do it, and then if I can't find it, then I just go back to my other companies where I do spend my own money, which is called toys and, and comic books, and I just do whatever I want with a lot of those as long as they're my own brand and my my own ideas. Obviously, if I'm making toys of the multiverse, uh, DC multiverse, or I'm making toys of Halo or, you know, Fortnite or something, then, then no, right? Uh, somebody Somebody's going to have a say, you know, because I'm using somebody else's IP. But uh, if I'm, I'm putting down all the cash, which is why I started all my own companies, so that I could just go, here, it's my money, and if it doesn't work, then... I'm not I'm I'm not hurting anybody other than me financially. Cool. And and luckily I I was doing enough right 
to be able to keep doing it for another day, and then those days turned into years, and those years turned into decades. Right? Cool. And now I've got momentum, so it's it's it, it becomes easier. It's easier for me to walk into a room and make a pitch on something because I can back it up with 25 examples of success. Uh, where you walked into that same room, you might not have the same resume. Doesn't mean you're you're any less skilled. It just means you just don't have the resume. They're, they're going to go. Todd's a known quantity. We, we're going to we're going to invest in the known quantity instead of the unknown quantity, despite both of you guys having the same skill. So that's where wanting to succeed matters to a guy like me. I don't want to succeed so I can be rich and famous. I've had 30 years of it. I'm I'm bored of Todd McFarland, right? So everybody else can escape him except for me. I need the success so that when I walk into a room and I want to do more art and I want to come up with other ideas, then people will go, yeah, so what was the last couple of things you did? And they see that there was success, and they go, yeah, okay, that's momentum. We'll spend money on you, right? That's why I need stuff to work out, not, not, not for my own personal ego, although I'd rather have something work than fail. Um, and, and I'm not saying that I don't have an ego or, you know, I, I have a sizable one, but it, but it's, against backdrop of what do I have to do to be able to can do, do art every day of my life? And the answer is you have to have some modicum of success. You, you do. You just do. So. And, you know, in regards to the Spawn movie, one of the things, you know, I, I talked uh, about this interview that we were going to be doing this with a number of people, and the topic, the most common question was in regards to the movie. When is the movie going to happen? What are updates of the movie? And... I guess uh, set the record straight. What's up with the movie? Yeah, well, we're you know we're in, we're obviously in coronavirus shutdown, and and Hollywood has shut down all their productions, right? Everything, um, but it doesn't prevent us from talking. So um, we're we're pushing for TV deals that are non-spawn ideas. You know, literally, I had the meeting, an hour meeting this morning with with my agents and and some of the people that I have deals with uh, in Hollywood. Um, we're continuing to talk on the spawn front. We've got you know, a very big talent that I've been talking to that I'm trying to see if I can convince him to jump on, because if he could, I think he would be sort of the last piece I would need for, for it to all begin to tumble real fast. Um, but if not, right, and, and you don't sort of get all your wishes, then you just keep pushing the boulder up the hill until you get to a spot where somebody will eventually say yes. Right, and 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 again, those are those are all personal decisions, right? I can either get to the point where I just go, ah, fine, I'll make this deal just so I can get it done because I've been wanting to do it, or I can just wait. I can just wait. I can just wait. Right now, again, it's been 20 years since the last movie, so at some point, 20, 21, 22 years, like to me, like I'm okay, guys. I'm in no rush. I'm not a starving artist. I'm not 22 anymore, and I need to get this thing done so I can. Go tell my mom and dad and my my girlfriend at a party that you know I did something with Hollywood, right? I I'm I'm okay, I'm okay. I need to I need to put this thing together in such a way that the people that are going to be working on it and investing in it believe in the in the project, uh, and that I can deliver as high a quality uh, and and a return on their money uh, to the highest extent possible too, uh, and. Uh, against the backdrop of just entertaining the heck out of a bunch of people uh, on a movie level. Not necessarily a comic book spawn level, but just on people who like to go to movies or watch movies. Uh, so that's that's the goal, right? At the end of the day, if the movie 
comes out, and it will come out. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm making my life's mission. Uh, you know, the, the, the only... The only question I have, because people will say, oh, Todd, I love it, and others will say, I hate it, and it's like, fine. I only have one question. Was it worth two hours and your $10? Was it worth Was it worth that? And if it was, then that was a success, right? That's it. So all the rest of it is just details. Did you think you got your, your $10 worth of value for those two hours? Just like, did you think you got your uh, value in my toys for the $20, right? And if the answer is yes, then that was a success for me, right? Was everything perfect for that consumer? No, nah, I'm sure they have sort of nitpicky stuff they'd want to do, and they and they should, uh, but they, they thought at that moment that we delivered on what it was that we were supposed to do, which is two hours worth for 10 bucks. That's it. That's, you know, I assume that people don't like a movie because they thought they got robbed and it wasn't worth their two hours. They could have been doing something else for those two hours. So we're still, we're still, let me just tell you that the phone calls are ever ongoing, even in lockdown right now. <laughs> Truth be told, one of the things, you know, that I noticed was like the Kickstarter for the Spawn figure did gangbusters just immediately right off the bat. And I'm looking at that thinking to myself, toys are a very, you know, niche audience in some ways, but, Imagine, you know, all the people that, you know, really love Spawn that went in on that, you know, $100,000, 12 minutes. Imagine if it was for a movie. You know, <laughs> more people are movie people. You know? I like it. I've, I've, I've joked half-heartedly that I go, I'll do a Kickstarter. We're going to fund this movie. And what I need is, you know, I don't need you to give me 100 130 bucks for this. Like, I need 20 million people to give me $1. $1. That's all I need. Right, so I've always said I don't understand why like big movie stars don't do this. You know, get their passion project, go up on Kickstarter and say, "Hey, I got this cool script I want to do, and it's 22 million. You know, my name is Ryan Goslin, and if I get 22 million of you to give me a buck, I think you'd have it in an hour. I think you'd have it in an hour. So, uh, and then you'd go make movie. So, and and uh, the thing is that. Even even if you fall short of your goal, which I'm sure we would, even if you only got half of it, then you still get to go into the meetings going, uh, listen, studios, look, I know you're not overly excited about this. Let me. What if I make it easy on you? What if you only have to put up half the money, right? Then all of a sudden, that's a different deal, right? So okay, you don't want to buy the car for twenty thousand. What, what if I what if I can get you into the car for ten thousand, right? Uh, and we just we just have to split a little bit of the gas money here, so. You just it just becomes negotiation. So it's like, yeah, I think I think there's a way. I think there's a way. You know, I keep telling people I've been super patient playing by the system here, but at some point, then I'll just go shoot. I'll, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go raise money. You know, in other places. I mean, there's outside investors that are not Hollywood people that have money. So whether I take the money from an outside investor, or I take a buck from a bunch of people that want to see the movie, then you know, cool. So then everybody would be my producer. It'd be awesome. <laughs> and, you know, in regards to like, just the impact of the character and, you know, the lasting legacy the character has, Spawn ended up showing up in Mortal Kombat 11, returned, you know, to a fighting game. And the and, reaction... Uh, and uh, they hired uh, Keith David to do the voice, who did the the voices for all three seasons on HBO where we won a couple of Emmys, right? I mean, I think a big part of the success of what happened on HBO was his voice, right? He just sounds... Oh, yeah. 
Todd, I didn't get to ask. I didn't get to ask before we started recording, but uh, Peter put out a post earlier asking to take questions, and we have two or three. Do you have time to uh, sure. run through those? Sure, let's go. Um, Chadwick Cunningham, honestly, want to know how's Chadwick doing? Okay. Yeah, he's he's good people, um, and I think you may have covered it more than once before. But for us, how did you get the idea to create Spawn? It's one of his all-time favorite characters. You know what? Uh, I, I created him when I, back when I was 16, when I was still in high school, and I was still trying to teach myself how to do comic books and fall in love with the medium and, and starting to say, hey, I want I want maybe there's a chance I can break into this business. Um, I was just looking around at what was popular back then, superhero stuff. I was collecting a bunch of those. And then uh, Star Wars had just come out, right? I'm going to date myself. Uh, Star Wars had just sort of come out, and, and so the original story was actually, you know, on a, on a future planet someplace. But the concept of it was this guy who was in love with his wife, and she got taken away, and he ended up getting sort of scarred and burnt alive. Like, all of that ended up still carrying over when uh, I moved. And part of it was when I was 16, I was just starting to date, date you know, my, my girlfriend at that point. Her name was Wanda. Uh, and, and, you know, fast forward, she ended up being my wife. We've been with each other for over 40 years now. Wow. Um, so, uh, you, you know, it was just that component of giving a motivation to the character is maybe sappy as it may seem was, was this is just sort of this love story gone wrong, if you will. Uh, and now it's against the backdrop of all this sort of crazy, fantastic stuff. So that was it, me just coming up with sort of goofy stuff. And, when, and, I, and the other thing, too, to expand on it, when I tell people, I go, look at the costume. When you look at the costume, you can, to me, I don't know, to me, you can tell I, I, it was created by a 16-year-old, right? <laughs> you, you, because back then, there was, you know, the X-Men, the uncanny X-Men hadn't hit its peak yet. Um, and, you know, where you had people that, you know, had a bunch of patches and pods and stuff on them. It was just sort of classic superhero stuff, right? So if you look at Spawn and that initial design it did, it pretty much got transported, you know, years later in 1992 when the first issue came out professionally. Um, my initial design was, you know, guy wearing a mask, okay, there's Spider-Man. He's got a mark on his chest, the big M. People used to think it was for McFarland, but it wasn't. Um, it, it was for, you know, the name of the devil. Um, and so... You go, okay, cool, he's got gloves, okay, Batman has gloves, he's got boots, Superman's got boots, he's got the logo on his chest, okay, just like Green Lantern, Flash, and Superman, and everybody else. Uh, he's got a belt that happened to be chains or something like that, or the skull or something like that. So, and he had a cape, right? I mean, most superheroes don't even have a cape these days. <laughs> so he's completely, to me, his design is completely dated, because... <laughs> uh, I created him in the mid-70s uh, with the backdrop, whatever was popular back then. Uh, and then when he came out in 1992, all I did was take him from being in the future. I just brought him into the, into the present. And then I, I added some of those components that could become a little more popular, like some patches on his legs and some spikes and the chain and maybe an extra skull here or there. Uh, but essentially the design is, is 90%. Exactly the same as when I created it when I was 16 years old. Let me go to the next one. And there's a compliment in here, too. Wade Wilde says, to thank you for saving the comic book industry in the 90s. 
but he says no. I don't. I don't. I. I, I mean, I appreciate the kind words. I don't. I don't think. I don't think I or we did. Um, and so, uh, comic books were in a speculative bubble at that point. Uh, we helped add to that when we started Image Comic Books when seven of us left Marvel and uh, ended up starting Image Comics. You know, amongst them, you know, that was you know myself and Eric Larson, Jim Valentino, Jim Lee, and. Mark Silvestri, Wills Potasio, and Rob Liefeld. Um, and so we were all just sort of a bunch of young sort of punks, if you will, and just wanted to basically go do comic books without being told what to do, right? I mean, call us teenagers. You know, this is what teenagers do. I don't want, to, I don't want my parents to tell me anything. So we were the same. You know, I didn't want any editors sort of telling me what I could or couldn't do. Um, so we, start, we started the industry. What we didn't know at the time, wasn't that we didn't know we were going to succeed. Of course we were going to succeed because we were all coming from big books like X-Men and Spider-Man and those kinds, Wolverine. Uh, was we didn't know the, the impact we were about to make in terms of creator rights. Um, and so when we started the company way back in 92, you know, we, we created a system where each one of us, the original founders, could own our own properties. And then we took those rules and we gave those same rules to anybody else that wanted to do a book for us so that everybody else got the same 100% ownership that we got. So if anybody that's listening right now was to do a book for Image, you own it 100%, mm. you own it 100%, and you get like 99% of the money <laughs> uh, in, in, at the beginning because we just take a little, depending on the success of it, we, we just take sort of the upfront flat fee uh, and then the rest of it's yours. So if you succeed a little bit, you get a little bit of money, and if you succeed a lot, you get a lot of a lot of money. So, uh, and we don't prosper along the way. We did early. We used to take a percentage, and then we decided that that might not be the right way to go because if somebody's book was selling ten times as much, we weren't doing ten times as much work to get it there, right? So, yeah. I mean, you could you could argue the same with stuff, you know, like kickstarters and stuff like that. To take a percentage. You could make the argument that they're doing the exact same work for everybody, right? Uh, so some guy makes ten million on his, and somebody makes ten dollars. The amount of work uh, is essentially about the same. Um, so I, I'm more of a big believer on you know just having a flat fee for people, so that you know, especially if they're going to come in with their creator-owned comic books, what they can do. So we had an impact in the '90s, but again, that bubble burst. Is, I don't know how old you guys are. I don't know if you remember, but it burst and it, and it injured our industry. We survived. We're now in another bubble. That's you know something's going to happen when we come out of out of the, the reset of the world right now. Uh, I think our industry is going to get impacted just like it did back in the in the mid '90s, and we'll just you know the strong will survive. Right here, I mean, here's what I know in in the world we live in today, which with locked. Yeah. The comic book people can make comic books. Right? We're, as a matter of fact, we're all we all normally draw at home anyway. So there's no social distancing. We've been doing that our whole lives. Uh, and then the fans still want comic books, right? And so the thing is, is, is what's the delivery mechanism of those two, right? From creators or companies, how do we get the, the character in the comic to the fans, right? Because the creators are still going to create, and the fans are still going to like the, the story. So how do we just how do we deliver it? We hope that there's enough stores that will survive, so that we can 
do it the, the way we've been doing it for decades. But if, you know, this goes on for a year and and things get really goofy, we're going to have to come up with different ways to feed the hunger of comic books to people, right? Whether that's going door to door and dropping it off ourselves or whether that's, you know, going digital or whatever. I don't know. You know, digital is not everybody's cup of tea because I like to have a comic book in my hand as much as anybody else. But you just deal with the reality that's thrust in front of you. The uh, the other part of Wade's question is, what is your favorite image character not made by you? Um, wow. Um, probably, I, 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 you know, pro- I'd probably say, uh, I, I'll give two quick answers. One one is uh, the Savage Dragon, uh, and that one's just because of my tremendous admiration for what Eric Larson has done with that character. I mean, I, I understand there's more issues to spawn than Savage Dragon, um, but, you know, Eric has literally done all his books himself, right? And that is just a Herculean task that is just phenomenal, right? And the only other person ever even attempted to do what Eric's doing is uh, Dave Sim on Cerebus, who went 300 issues, which was the book that Spawn broke the record for for creator-owned, you know, longest-running creator-owned book. And then the other one is uh, Robert Kirkman on two levels. One, you know, with his Walking Dead, because, you know, not a huge success in the comic book market, but to show an example of what can happen with your property, your own creator-owned property that you, the creator, have control over, uh, could blow up. And then, and then, you know, Robert, you know, to digress a bit, Robert also walked away from Marvel and DC and never went back, right? And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm a big advocate of trying to find those types of warriors because they're few and far between, especially especially on the writing side. Those are almost unicorns, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, there's lots of big-time writers, but and they have all sort of done their own creator own books, but very few of them have said, I'm going to literally cut the apron string of Marvel and DC and just go full-time in my own ideas. I'm going to invest in me you know, over everybody else. Um, so Robert Kirkman's a hero of mine, too. I, uh, I have one more here, and that's from Michael Dodd, and I'm going to break it down because it looks like it's a three-part thing. Uh, most memorable arc for the character's history, which is, I'm assuming means Spawn. I don't know that there's an arc. I think there are standalone stories that I think matter that are a little bit impactful. Um, one of them in particular was an issue, I, I should know what the issue was, it was around issue 30 or something like that, uh, where Spawn is sort of, you know, sort of teleported out of something, he's pretty weak, and some little boy finds him, takes him home, um, sort of a reverse ET, if you will, and, and very quickly uh, Spawn gets to meet the, the young boy's brother, and then, but then he finds out that both of the boys have been physically abused by their or a drunkard father who's also the sheriff in town, so he's got some status, so nobody, nobody's doing anything to stop it. Uh, and so Juan decides he's going to play God, right? Which is essentially what every superhero does, because uh, they're using their powers and they're not asking anybody's permission. Uh, and so he plays God, and he thinks that the way to cure the, the sort of the mean dad 
is to just tattoo him and embarrass him, literally the scarlet letter on him. And so he does it, and for a moment, for a while, the dad's okay, but then he just returns back to his ways. But Spawn's gone in the story. Spawn's left because he's like, well, my work is done here, and he's gone. And then the dad starts to abuse the children again, and one of the, the sons in, the, in, in trying to defend the younger brother goes and grabs the, the gun from the sheriff's dad's holster and shoots his dad dead. Right. So that, so it, so the point of the story was Spawn thought he was doing good by being sort of a hero and using his powers and doing whatever else, and the end result was that this young boy had to kill his dad. Right, so the, it, it was it, to me. It was sort of an important, interesting story to just say that being a hero can can be kind of muddy, and that and that whatever when you think you're doing right, you might not be, and and when you're hesitant, you should maybe be doing more. That that the journey of the hero of of learning to be a uh, a hero is way more important than actually, I think, becoming the hero. Right, once you're once you're a hero, which is why I've always said Superman's not important to me, because he, he's just like he's perfect. He's, just, he's not interesting, not important. He is important. He's not he's not interesting to me because he's he's perfect. He's always been perfect. Uh, and and I like the flawed characters. I, I like the people who basically make bad mistakes from time to time because it just shows me that they're like us as humans. And if any of us got hit by a bolt of lightning and we're super strong, we'd make just as many mistakes tomorrow we just would be a lot stronger uh you know it doesn't superpowers don't make your brain grow it makes your body grow it changes your body it doesn't change your brain and so telling stories about these humans that are still trapped in these super bodies is still i think important are there any characters you wish you had more time to develop oh yeah a bunch of them mm-hmm. a bunch of them I think I think there's a lot there for Haunt. Uh, I've got this other character that was in the comic book uh, Savior. I think he's got he's got a lot of meat on his bone. Um, I still I think arguably there's a whole book, big miniseries about the clown that still is untapped, right? That like the true origin. I've never even written the true origin of clown yet. Uh, Sam and Twitch are sort of the detectives. They're sort of personal favorites. And then there's a handful of others that sort of are scattered. I've got a couple of new books, too, with new ideas and new characters that are, you know, outside Spawn universe that I'm working on right now, too. Final part of Mike's question here. Uh, any crossover that you would like to pursue? Um, you know, I think... I think if I if I just sort of take a step back and just go forget forget what you want to do, Todd. What, what would the fans want? The one that the fans would probably want, I'm guessing, is gonna is would be a Spawn Spidey, right? You know, because then you know I sort of made my bones, if you will, and, and, and my reputation with those two characters at sort of two different points in my life, and people still seem to remember with reverence the Spider-Man that I did. And I just recently did uh, a drawing for a cover. I don't think it's out yet because of the shutdown uh, and where I put Spider-Man and Spawn on. And it was the first time I ever put the two characters together, right? And it was one of the, and I eventually I posted it, it was like one of the biggest reactions of something I'd done artistically in a long time to my art because I think it was like, oh my God, Spidey Spawn. Although, 
Um, but anyways, it would be, it would be. I think I think it'd be fun to go back and, and sort of mess with those two characters uh, on the same page. You know, more than just the cover, and and then the fans who have been clamoring for me to to do Spider-Man since the day I left, you know, would go, oh my God, he's back. So uh, those are old fans now because it's been, you know, almost 30 years. But, uh, you know, they'd go, oh my gosh, I'm going to get to see it before I die. So that might, that, that, that would probably be the, the, the one. Uh, and then if not, uh, you know, another kick at a, at a spawn, spawn Batman, I think would, would be fun. And, you know, maybe, in regards maybe with to Jim that, Lee, I keep, I keep calling, calling, I keep telling Jim Lee, come on, Jim. Truth be told, I would love to see a Midnight Suns uh, Spawn crossover. Like, it's tailor-made, everything involved. Yeah, that would be cool, too. Especially just, you know, I'd love to see a face-off between Ghost Rider and Spawn and just flaming chains everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of of fun stuff, right? That's why... That's why when I was doing Spider-Man, I was just picking. I mean, if you look at my entire run on Spider-Man, like the the one you know what they called the, the adjectiveless you know Spider-Man uh, that I was writing myself. If you if you look at what I wrote, everything was monsters, right? Everything was monsters. That entire run, minus the last issue, because that crossover with X Factor or X Force, whatever, was was sort of pushed on me. Um, but up to that, everything is like monsters, right? I've got Wendigo, and I've got Morbius, and I've got Hobgoblin, I've got the Lizard, and I've got Green Goblin. I mean, it was just like, I just go, what kind of cool guys can I put in here and make it dark and gritty? And before we wrap this episode up, one of the things that I wanted to also talk about is because the DC Multiverse figures... The newest ones, they just hit store shelves, the Wonder Woman 84 figures. And I have to tell you, those, again, I saw them at Toy Fair. They look spot on, just like Gal Gadot. And I'm excited to see what you guys could do next with other characters and the likenesses of the actors, actresses. Yeah, yeah you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, whenever you do an, act, an actor, you know, whether it's male or female, I mean... No matter how close you get, every time it comes into the office, there's always something you could have done better, right? Whether it was the color of their hair, or the eyes could have been darker, the skin tonality, or you know maybe you know the the, the silhouette of them. There's always something, right? Because you have the real deal, you know what that is, right? Where when you're just doing sort of fun design stuff. There's no wrong in it, right? So when we did the Superman in the armor in the first wave, right? It, I mean, it was it was you know inspired by the, what Jim Lee had laid down, but we we messed around with it, uh, just trying to do cool stuff. Uh, but it's still, everybody, you know, even if you're pulling from comic books, that's not real, right? And you're just you're using an interpretation of what's on the page anyway. So it's always difficult when you're doing. Uh, actors, and so, I mean, you, you know, you have to get the face, because if you get everything else wrong, but at least you get the face, you're you're almost 50% there, right? Because if you get everything else right but the face, people will reject it. So you, you, you have to, you know, you have to start and become a slave to the likeness, and then you go, uh, and, you know, we've had mixed reactions over the 20-plus years of making toys on how accurate we've gotten, you know, any of our faces. 
because you know it's a difficult thing to look at a photo and turn it into 3D clay sometimes. So. I mean, personally, there's just like so many different options you know that you could have with this. And when I saw you guys did a uh, arrow figure, I hmm. did a double take because it looks just like Stephen Amell. And there's again, there's just something about that aspect of the action figures that. I enjoy so much, and again, the the possibilities of what this line could entail are endless. And you know, when we talk to Toy Fair, I'm just thinking, oh, they could do this one, they could do this one, and that's what I'm really excited about with this line. You know, it's in, it's interesting going back to likenesses too. That I think as toy buyers, collectors, which we all are, we've sort of lowered our bar to you know, if they can get it pretty good, I'll buy it, right? So every now and then when somebody, you know, can nail a face, whether it's my company or somebody else's, and there's been plenty out there really done terrific jobs, uh, then when you see it done right, it really sort of makes your heart skip because you go, oh, my gosh, they actually did it, right? I mean, the thing is about toys, which is probably the most aggravating thing about toys, is it's a very inexact science, right? And just because you nail one toy... It's easy the very next one you not to be able to not to be able to live up to the same standards and it's frustrating. It's sort of like playing baseball, right? Sometimes you hit a home run and sometimes you strike out and you're basically the same person taking the same swing. Why? Right? Why? Um, so, but with the with the DC multiverse as we move forward, uh, as I probably said to you that yeah, I mean you know we we have access to the library from 19 you know 38 onward. Right, that's from Action Comics one to today. Uh, so they're between, you know between the movies and the TV shows and the video games and coloring books, anything we want, right? Comic books, everything, all of it. There's 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 going to be no lack of us being able to pick out some cool stuff and do it. And if we if we don't pick up pick out the cool stuff, or at least the stuff that's popular that people want at that time, then shame on us, right? It's 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 my fault. My go-to one that I want to see more than any of them, though, is a George Reeves Superman. Because I think, you know, you could have even, like, a variant, a black and white one or a full color. And yeah. it would be incredible. Super. So here's the thing. Here's the thing to sort of come a little bit full circle with the conversation. Here's the thing with something like a Kickstarter slash crowdfunding, right? I think there are opportunities for doing stuff, and you just mentioned one, that would work in those places but might not have quite the same success or enthusiasm from the retailers uh, in, the, in the normal channel of the toy aisle, if you will. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. So I think there's opportunities for us to do what, what I call one-off, to do these ones that may work in a way that we wouldn't have had a chance to expose it anywhere, right? Like if I go to, I, I'm guessing if I go to my Walmart buyer right now and I say, hey, I'm going to do a George Reeves uh, Superman, although it's cool for you and I, he might not be that excited. He might say, hey, just give me another Superman and a robot because you did so well on that, Todd. I don't need a 1950s, early 60s, you know, look of Superman. Give me, I want, I want something hip and cool. So, so all of a sudden then you go, oh my gosh, we're never going to get to do it. But I think that looking at now the internet as a whole, you have these options to be able to do things that that the model, you know, of the big box stores aren't built for. Uh, they're starting to do a little bit of it with their dot coms, um, but uh, they're they're playing a little bit of catch up. The big stores, 
so we'll get there. But even even with some of the modern stuff, I mean, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day. If I if I was going to do a, a a Batman toy that was based on Batman art that I did personally, right? Because I did a little bit of Batman. Uh, and, and they were to say to me, Todd, well, which, which image would you pick? The ones that I'd pick are the ones that you've got, like, a big cool cape, right? I can't do that cape at Walmart and Target. I can't. They, I, I don't have the space. I don't have the, I don't have the box size. It just, I can't do it. So, it, I, 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 you know, I've been sitting there trying to figure out, and then with what happened here recently with uh, the Kickstarter and what's currently happening, I, I, all of a sudden the light bulb went off, and it was like, oh, my gosh. I know where I can put that big giant cape version of Batman, right? I just I gotta I gotta take it away from the normal system, and take it to a place that will gladly say it's okay if the cape is four times bigger than the than the character itself, right? And matter of fact, it's cool if it's four times bigger than the character itself. So, um, so I'm pretty excited about some of the possibilities. I mean, again, we'll we'll. The people that were we got licensed, will they go for the ride with me? I don't know. You have to ask permission, and sometimes they say yes, and sometimes they say no. So, but I'm I'm a bit of a pest, right? Like we said at the beginning, I'm pretty tenacious, so I just keep asking I, until I sometimes wear them out. And if I'm, they go, fine, fine, we don't care. And I'm like, I take that as a big yes. I go, yeah. So I used to wear my mom out. So now, Todd, before we wrap this up, uh, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Um, uh, you know, we're on, we're on Instagram and, and Facebook and, uh, and Twitter. Those are sort of our three big, our big ones. So, you know, I think if somebody just searches Todd McFarland, they'll, they'll come to the big landing pages. I, I think some of them give you, like, check marks that authenticate you or whatever else. But, uh, yeah, you know, we, we just we, – and, and, again, I just – for the most part, just try to do goofy stuff on there, you know. I don't try to do any heavy-handed selling, although we did a little bit with the Kickstarter, but then it's like, nah, it's time to go back to just doing silly, goofy stuff. So. Related to the goofy stuff you've done on social media, I remember you had a Spawn movie announcement, and it ended with you uh, having your head CGI blown up, and I was like, oh, oh, what? oh, oh, oh. <laughs> So, <laughs> I think that was a bad heart. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, we, you know, so, that's just the fun stuff. I know it's frustrating sometimes, but that's the fun, the fun stuff. So, uh, you, me. I was you know, we're in, the, we're, we're in the entertainment business at the end of the day, right? And it's like you don't have to, you don't have to be making money all the time. You, you know, to, like entertain them, and the money will come, will come behind it. So, just keep absolutely, keep, you know, engaging with the uh, with the fans, which is why you know it's a shame that conventions have got shut down because now fans are losing that piece of the interaction they used to enjoy not only amongst themselves but with you know some of the the people in the in the industry uh whether it was comic books or or hollywood uh all that sort of getting taken away it's a shame so we'll just have, so now we've got to find out other ways to engage with our fans i'm still in shock that san diego was canceled though but i understand yeah. yep and um, lots of things getting canceled so that's oh, why we yeah. gotta do stuff. We gotta come up with some crazy stuff. So. There's always hope for Halloween. I hope so. There. <laughs> yeah, everybody be walking around with masks. That that works for me. Stay home, safe Halloween. Todd, All right, be good. One big, huge, incredible, amazing thank you for spending so much time with the marvelous on this episode, and and congratulations on all your success and lots of continued more of the same. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, best of luck to you gentlemen, too. Appreciate you giving us the time and uh, keeping Geekdom alive and well.
For the Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Todd McFarlane. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior. Perfect.